becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Just like eye contact with a stranger, stranger around the corner. It's a dream that you don't know. Sound good. Sound good. Do I sound good? Yo, wow. Wow. Right there. Yeah, right that's there. That's, that's the spot. <laughs> Sweet spot. Found it. <laughs> right. Cheers. Welcome to the shores. To everybody. the shores. <clears throat> How we doing? <laughs> I have no fucking idea. <laughs> It's I'm going to start this with an F-bomb. An F-bomb? <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it. I just did. I oh, said, I that no was the F-bomb. Idea. Oh, you did. <laughs> I didn't even hear it. <laughs> I know. It's funny how, like, I never hear so cuss words until you have, like, until kids, you know? Like, right. Like, They're around and you're aware. <laughs> totally. It's about, it's about to be <clears throat> Snowpocalypse 2.0. Oh, yeah. That's how everyone's acting. Uh-huh. That's how everyone's behaving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, behaving as if. <laughs> we'll probably wake up. It'll be sunny tomorrow. It probably will be. Yeah. 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 Everyone's so scared. So scared. <laughs> I like, I don't know <clears throat> what they think's going to happen. Yeah. You know? People live places it snows. They don't shut down. And I guess I get it. Like, yeah. we don't know how to drive <clears throat> on ice and stuff. But yeah. We're not as prepared. We don't have the... the well, I don't think we'll ever really need a snow plow, but <laughs> maybe like uh, salting trucks and stuff. Yeah, true. The salting trucks. Those uh, are important. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes against the, what I would assume the Texas mentality would be, though. Because mm. Texans, stereotypically, or maybe more so historically, mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, grit. They've got <clears throat> grit. Yeah. Whatever it is, we're going to grin and bear it, you mm-hmm. know, get job done. Yeah. But that that's not how we're handling but we also look at these days where it's like most the most everybody here is from somewhere else yeah <laughs> i was getting texts all day long like schools are shutting down businesses are shutting down mm-hmm. offices are shutting down because it's going to be below freezing yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it is raining right now so it will it will probably freeze on the road <clears throat> True. maybe yeah maybe. we'll see <clears throat> yeah well, you, you said something before we started that I thought would be fun to talk about. Yeah, it was so intelligent. Too. It was really intelligent. <laughs> and I remember exactly what I said. <laughs> well, fill us in. Bring us up to speed. Uh, I don't even know how to jump into all that. Well, you said that the, the line that stuck out to me was, uh, truth does not need our protection. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Let me, let me come at that roundabout way, and then we'll kind of pitter-patter from there. <laughs> Pitter patter, eh? <laughs> Pitter patter. Just like little kittens. <laughs> well, okay. <clears throat> you kind of might have to bear with me on this a little bit because it kind of has a lot of different layers to it. Um, uh, there was this, uh, there was this pastor that was speaking about, uh, uh, in Christianity, there's two, two ideas of uh, quenching the Holy Spirit and uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. And the distinction between those two is like one is like, sort of sin and the other is uh sort of like not listening and being open and aware of uh kind of like what god is telling you so it's it's really interesting two interesting concepts because uh you know some people get hung up on the religious language of this but if you really think about it there's something that's pretty profound about those ideas like the idea of quenching something quenching the holy spirit is kind of this uh this part kind of has to do with sin. So if you're, if you're caught in a lie 
and you continue to stand for that lie, you know, like I didn't, <laughs> I took a shower, dad. You're like, no, you didn't take a shower. It's like, <laughs> it's like there's some sort of wall or barrier that goes up whenever you continue to proliferate that lie and, and act as if that lie is true. There's sort of, there's a sort of like quenching that happens that you, the relationship you have with somebody else is no longer, uh, what do you say? Well, I was going to say, I, I think I'm getting confused with the word quench because I mm. think of quench as, as in thirst, as in to oh, satiate. Gotcha. Now this is like more to like you quench off a, a spout or something. Clinch? Like that. Quench. Quench. <laughs> no, it sounds, uh, it sounds so weird. I can't even say it anymore. Quench. Okay, continue. Okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, uh, I'm looking at it. Okay, do, do. Uh, so, I don't so, know why I said that so sensually. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking it up. It's like, we, it's like a, a, you're a female Jamie or something like that. No, quench means to satisfy one's thirst. Oh, or it can mean extinguish a fire. Yeah, it's extinguish the fire is part okay. of what I'm going for. <laughs> Firemen hauled on hoses in a desperate bid to quench the flames. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that that's an example sentence that they put in a desperate bid. <laughs> so dramatic. Well, they have to kind of bring you in. And yeah, you, really. Gosh, you, quench those flames. <laughs> Gosh, this is serious. <laughs> Why do you have time to write this? <laughs> Just do it. Um, yeah. So anytime there's a, a lie of some sort, <clears throat> you definitely have like a, uh, you you can't see you can't see the truth, but you ha- at some point you have to kind of acknowledge the truth, and that sort of like releases you from that lie. Like I'm sorry, Dad, I was I actually didn't take a shower, and it's like okay, cool, all right, we, we're on the, we're on some sort of truthful basis again, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of like confession, you know. <clears throat> but then there's a grieving part is is just not being aware of those around you. Um, uh, in this, in in Christianity, be like just not listening to God, or or trying to, or or, or looking to God, or something like that. <clears throat> but it's also in this uh, same idea of relationships. If you're not aware of somebody and open to listening and hearing and trying to understand something, so when you don't do that, you sort of grieve that relationship. And that that's kind of like anyway. So he he was talking about that. Uh, it was like a little clip I saw and I was just like, Oh wow, that's really profound. And then, uh, I watched it. There was in Instagram reels is really, uh, flowing. <laughs> this, the reels have been flowing. <laughs> and there's this other guy who, who came up and he was kind of like, had a little confession moment whenever, like just, <clears throat> he had recently kind of like, just kind of came to the conclusion that he is the one who fucked up, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, and you, you saw it in his face. It's like, and, and and everybody knows that whenever you're like you're stuck on something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, that was me. Hmm. And there's a sort of like humbling that happens, and it's like all these things sort of like it, it kind of fall fall away from you whenever you kind of come to that space, you know. Hmm. Um, so then we kind of start to see these these two things that start happening. Um, even right now you see with like, uh, you know, Joe Rogan right now, um, depending on where you fall on this, you're going to see this from two different sites, you know, two different ways. It's like one, here's this guy who is spreading misinformation and misleading people. And on the other side, he's like, no, here's a guy having a conversation with lots of different people who are talking about different opinions and different thoughts. And he's curious and, and wants to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so depending on what spirit you're in is how you're going to view that and, and judge that. And so the question is, is like, is either one of those correct or more correct <coughs> than the other? And depending on where you're coming from is how you're going to see it. And I think that's the part that has been kind of like fascinating to me is that sometimes I, I come across somebody and they, they see something completely different. I'm like, I don't think that's true. And then mm-hmm. I question myself, well, well, am I missing something? Right. You know, am I, am I not aware of something that, I, that I'm not seeing, you know? Um, and sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. And it's like, well, how can another person see that so, so differently than I do? Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of like, you know, someone's French and you're American or whatever, you know, it's like there's differences in culture and stuff like that. And there's, right. there's that part too, but just anything from like fundamental, you know, when we kind of saw this with COVID stuff where, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of things that have been, been saying for the last six months, not me, but that have been said that are now mainstream media, you know, uh, normalties, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, this is something that we've known for a long time, but you're just now like, like well, you be, weren't allowed to know. You it. weren't allowed <clears throat> to. Yeah. It's like, well, it makes me think about your question of which is correct. Cause you can understand how you, it's possible to see things through, you know, mm-hmm. two different ways. Mm-hmm. And you ask, well, am I seeing it correctly? What yeah. does that mean for something to be correct? And, I think that's a whole subject in and of itself, but mm-hmm. just maybe for working purposes, I would say something is correct based upon its fitness, mm-hmm. based upon its ability to functionally move you forward into a better place. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when I look at, <clears throat> excuse me, the Joe Rogan sort of fiasco that has like in such a bewildering way just exploded in the last week. Yeah. Everyone has, is coming out against him, Mm -hmm. which is wild to me. And I wonder if we're just so bored of COVID that we need something else to be angry at. I don't know what it is. Um, but at a high level, you look at, well, you look at Joe Rogan and what he's doing. And I think it's pretty easy to listen to him and say, well, you can like him or not like him, but it's pretty clear that he's, sort of honestly and forthrightly at least exploring ideas, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah. And then you look at those against him and what are they doing? They are claiming that the truth is known and it, and should not be questioned, mm-hmm. which is why they're labeling him with misinformation. Yeah. And if you just judge both of those on fitness in terms of how do they move you forward into a better future, like one is predicated on not moving the other isn't. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me, at least from that level of analysis, the correct view is to like, no, we should hear Joe Rogan out. Mm-hmm. Or at least hear his guests out. Cause that's what he's doing is like, right. Yeah. It's like, well, that's the other interesting thing is like people make it about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's show isn't about Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like nothing, n- none of his show has ever been about what he thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got some good thoughts. He's, you know, yeah. I, I personally tend to like him and his points of view on things, but mm-hmm. his show is primarily about the thoughts of his guests. Yeah. And him probing them and trying to understand what they're saying and what they're about. And, right. Yeah. And then he, he puts his uh, thoughts and opinions up against theirs and, you know, does it, does it stand? Right. Know, which is interesting. So I want to try to respond to your setup, which was really good, by the way. Was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's all over the place. It's very but. clear. Um, 
And then maybe bring us back to this misinformation idea, because I find it very and interesting in this context. So you, know, you talk about this idea of a lie, and a lie, I think, diminishes you, because you have to uphold it. Mm. You know, without you upholding it, it falls apart, it goes away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in order to successfully lie, you have to keep a high-resolution model of reality in, in a working environment in your head, mm-hmm. because otherwise you'll get confused about what the lie was. Like the lie is contrary to reality. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it a lie. So you have to be sort of hypervigilant when you're maintaining a lie, which I think is why it diminishes you Mm -hmm. because the energy that you would have toward growth or creation or relationship is now being used to maintain this model of reality that you have to actively keep tabs on. Mm -hmm. You can't sort of coexist with it. You got to be constantly checking on it so that you can maintain your lie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, whereas the truth, whatever that is, isn't in contradiction to anything. It is, it, it exists with or without you. It doesn't need to be uphold upheld. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the proper, I think the interesting thing about, let's say, political activism versus religion mm-hmm. and try to compare those two for a moment. One key aspect of most religions is <clears throat> that there is some claim to truth and then <clears throat> some, um, <clears throat> some idea or model of how you're supposed to live in the face of that truth mm-hmm. and how you're supposed to live in the face of that truth is to be humble to be humble in the face of the truth. Whereas I think generally political ideologies, which especially this day and age are operating or we're be- people are behaving in religious ways toward mm-hmm. them. Um, there's no humility in that. Mm-hmm. It's not evident to me. And I think that's because whatever truth they have is at odds with something else. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be upheld. It has to be propped up by the activism. Otherwise <clears throat> it falls down. Yeah. Which brings us to this whole wild. It just occurs to me over the course of this conversation, how strange this term misinformation is. Mm-hmm. And we've been throwing it around for so many years now that you just sort of know what it means. You're like, Oh yeah, misinformation. That shouldn't be misinformation. And you know, congressional hearings and social media and, you know, censorship, there's no such thing as cancel culture, you know, (laughs) misinformation kills people. And I think about it for a second. I'm like, what are you talking about misinformation? Because, you know, what is the truth and can you assault the truth and can you diminish it? I I mean, you can assault it, but I don't think you can diminish it. It's Mm -hmm. in some sense, self-fulfilling and self-evident. Yeah, as simple as, you know, <clears throat> is somebody in the hospital because of COVID or with COVID? Like, that's that, that's a distinction to be looked at and to be understood. Mm-hmm. And it's not something to, you know, 
oh, it's just misinformation. It's like, no, that's, those are real things. Like that's not a fake thing. <laughs> right. Uh, N93 masks, 95 masks versus cloth masks, you know, which ones work better? You know, it's like, that's, there's a truth to it. It's not like, it's not like there's, it's a, uh, it's a, someone's opinion can make it true or not, you know? But why do you think we've, we've become infatuated with this word misinformation? Like, why don't we say that's not true or that's a lie? Yeah. You're being lied to, mm-hmm. you're being manipulated. We say this is misinformation. Well, I think it's right now it's like, I mean, you and I, I wish I would have documented all these things over the last few years. Like a lot of our vocabulary is being shifted and manipulated into into the political sphere so that we can no longer talk without almost like almost like we're wanting to be confused because I might say something like misinformation. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Misinformation. Yeah. That's misinformation is not good. It's like, but when you start bringing it into like a dialogue or, or discussing something, it's like, that's not really about misinformation. That's a conversation that you're having to understand what is true. And, you know, is everything a hundred percent correct? No. Is it 70% correct? Who knows? Well, what's something we're trying to get at, you know? So to label something as misinformation, uh, which it's, even they're kind of going that way is like sort of like a cult kind of idea. Mm, you know, it's like, yeah. um, it, and then, and then the, all these, all these, all these, uh, words that we used for specific things are starting to bleed into other areas that are not as, uh, that would, would not be strictly defined as a cult. You know, it's like, you know, uh, you know, maybe like, I think I saw something about the, the cult of Joe Rogan and stuff like that. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> it's, it's, you kind of don't know if you're on one side of the argument or whatever, it's like, in, it's easier to put those more blanket statements out there and bring unity because as long as they can, they can repeat back to you those same words, which is odd because all of that is so obviously manipulative, uh-huh. which I would say that's misinformation. Yeah. You're, you're misleading me. Mm-hmm. You're manipulating me to what end maybe isn't clear to me, but I can tell that you're in, <clears throat> what, for what other reason would you seek to confuse me Yeah, to redefine words out from under me without telling me? Well, I mean, it does come back to like the, the sort of postmodern idea of like, it's all about power. And so you're, you're exercising your, your vocabulary in a way to maintain and control power, you know? But what I don't understand is why would they say Joe Rogan? And obviously this is not the only example of the use of the term, but Mm -hmm. in this specific example, Joe Rogan is guilty of spreading COVID-19 misinformation. Yeah. So for example, let's take just for working purposes, the claim that ivermectin is useful in treating uh, Mm COVID-19. Like, why would you say that that's misinformation and not just simply say that's not true? Yeah. Well, I think there's, I think there's a real reason why, because misinformation is vague enough, but when you say something that's not true, it's like, well, let's look at the, let's look at the information, the science behind it. And so it it kind of one step removes it away from Mm -hmm. actually uh, making a claim against its falsehood. Such that 
if it turns out that that statement is true, mm-hmm. then you can say, well, we've learned new things or the science has changed. Or we have new data or something like that. Yeah. Or even I, I would say that's, that's almost too <clears throat> exacting and too specific. <clears throat> I would just say that if you say something is misinformation, then you could just shift the argument and focus on something else. Like probably in this, in a three to four hour conversation that again, just on Joe Rogan's podcast, there's going to be some things that are not correct, <laughs> you know? Right. And so it just be, it'd be easier to kind of then shift it to something else, you know, it's, and that, then it, then it makes the actual other thing that was true actually look like it was not, it's untrue also, you know, but if you, if you actually attack something and saying, Hey, you know, there's no studies that prove that ivermectin has any effect on COVID-19. Well, then you'd have to go and look at the, the science behind that. And that could be, then you could have a discussion on that. So it's, it's just a blanket dismissal. Yeah, totally. I say it's misinformation Then I don't have to actually say what's true and what's not true. I can just dismiss you completely. Exactly. Yeah. It's more of a dismissive term than anything else Mm -hmm. or how it's used, you know, it's a nasty little term. Well, there's a lot of those too. It's sort of like, you know, uh, white privilege is one of those things. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's a, it's a dismissive term. Um, you know, uh, the rich are all, you know, greedy bastards, you know, it's, it's, there's sort of like these, these broad statements, uh, you know, uh, you know, you see this, like, uh, I think Elizabeth Warren does this a lot. Like she kind of makes these statements that are sort of outlandish, you know, but, um, <laughs> to, I'm thinking of Elon Musk and her exchange. What was that <laughs> whole thing standards. they got into? Do you remember? I, I was I was trying to remember what it was now, but I, I'm kind of blanking. But you know, it's it's just it's 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 really to me it's eye opening whenever you see people on podcasts that are speaking for more than a couple hours. It's it, it really shows people's true colors because if you have somebody that's more into sound bites and these sort of like broad, vague statements, mm-hmm. they start to sound untrustworthy the more they talk because they, they can't they can't really talk about anything specific because it's so uh, then their whole world kind of falls apart. <clears throat> I didn't watch the whole thing of the, the Gupta guy from uh, Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay Gupta. But he seemed to kind of. I mean, that's I interesting because I, I. It's an interview tactic. Mm-hmm. And to ask a question of someone that you're interviewing for a job, mm-hmm. a question which is general enough to give them space for a creative answer, but specific enough to where you can see if they can actually answer the question or if they sort of go off in some other direction, Mm -hmm. which is what I think people who don't know what they're talking about generally tend to do. Yeah. You know, because when you're put on the spot, you either shut down and go quiet or you just sort of bullshit, you know? (laughs) Uh So the words keep coming. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like, you know, maybe you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Golly. I think that's one reason I really love interviews is, mm. is just getting someone to just talk about kind of what they like to do or something like that. Cause it's, it's, you can, you, you really can tell a lot about an applicant by just them telling that, telling you something that they enjoy or love. <laughs> it's the same thing you do when you're dating. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you sit down, what do you have to talk about? Well, tell me what you like. Tell me what gets you excited. 
and, and see where they go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because if nothing comes from that, then you're definitely in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like things. I don't like things. I, I hate things. <laughs> <laughs> Excitement's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Can we get some more uh, drinks over here? <laughs> wow, you go for more drinks. I'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, check please, check please. <laughs> Oh, my kids are calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So misinformation is a nasty little term, and I'm still just like kind of in awe of this statement that the truth doesn't need protection, mm-hmm. you know, which is another strange thing because everyone screaming about misinformation feels like they're on the side of the truth or the science or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if, if your position is true and correct, then what are you doing quibbling or being concerned about misinformation? Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of reminds me of <laughs> what is that like cheeky little saying? Uh, the lion does not concern himself with the affairs of the sheep or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminds me of Aslan, <clears throat> like as an analogy of the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to fuck with Aslan? Yeah. A little, a little imp. He's not concerned about that. The truth doesn't need protecting. So if you are, if your position is correct, then Joe Rogan isn't a threat to you. Yeah. He's either an ally or a nuisance Mm -hmm. and a nuisance, which can be pretty safely ignored unless I guess you're, and maybe this is where it gets so complicated and, starts to feel very nefarious to me because the other, the other strange element of our public conscience, conscience maybe right now is this idea that everyone's actions are responsible for the health of the whole. Mm. So it's like you can, you can condemn Joe Rogan for misinformation because that's deadly. He's killing people. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to take this somewhere that I think is so fascinating, which is, re- I mean, it's really interesting, right? Like there's, there's certain people like Neil Young and, uh, Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell and many others. Mm-hmm. Now the surgeon general, all kinds of people saying that Joe Rogan should be censored for misinformation because he's, you know, presumably people are listening to him and then making choices that are either killing themselves or other people. And I think, <clears throat> well, isn't this a, an interesting duality within one particular ideology <clears throat> because that, I, that ideology would also say <clears throat> uh, children, no matter how old, know exactly who they are and should be trusted whether or not they are male or female. Hmm. Their identity is immutable and only they can know it. So trust children to tell you who they are but definitely don't trust adults to decide whether or not to listen to Joe Rogan. They need to be told whether or not they can listen to Joe Rogan. Wow. That is, that's a fascinating connection. (laughs) Well, and there's quite a few of them. Uh It's an inversion of safety and responsibility. Hmm. And it's a, it's such a strange feature of that particular ideology. Mm -hmm. Children should have all freedom and responsibility and adults should be kept safe at all times. Hmm. 
that's wild. And it's like, I wish we had James Lindsay on to explain to us exactly how that happens within that line of thinking. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think it leads to some pretty dangerous places. And it's, it's so ridiculous. Like you need, you're so worried about the behavior of adults that you need the government to tell adults what they can and cannot listen to. Mm-hmm. You need the government or, or even just Spotify or Facebook or whatever to put disclaimers on things for adults. It's like we put, you know, growing up, we would put like a parental advisory uh, label on CDs, right? Mm-hmm. That's like letting parents know, Hey, you know, you might want to check and decide whether or not you want your kids listening to this. It's like, we've never put fucking caution warnings for adults on products. <laughs> well, do not iron on your on your body. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> but the, but again, that that's, that's it starts getting very so ridiculous. Is that we we have becoming more and more like over the last probably twenty years, putting caution labels on things that are absolutely ridiculous and stupid. Uh, Bill Maher makes this point. Oh shit, I'm, I'm on a, I might mess this up, but oh, I went too far on that one, um, man. I think it was that thing that I sent you. Do you remember what he, how he said that? Oh, let me just kind of go with this. I might, might come with me, come, come back to me. But you know, we, we've put all these caution labels on things that are, you know, probably the person who's going to be ironing their clothes on their body <laughs> is not going to read the caution. <laughs> and that was basically like Bill Maher's point yeah. is that, uh, but you know, the government is, is trying to make all these rules and regulations for things that, you know, the people who might need that rule or regulation, they're not going to listen to it anyways. You know, oh, he was making the point about, <laughs> so uh, one, one of the Build Back Better uh, uh, points in, in that, whatever that big stack of papers is called. <laughs> uh, the bill. The or, bill, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm just a bill. Was that they want to put sensors in a car so that they can they can tell if a child has been left in the car without a parent? Mm-hmm. And Bill Maher's point was, it's like it's not going to do any good. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's like the person who leaves the kid in the car, you know, is not going to read. Is not going to like you know. It's, yeah, it, it's not going to help. And then like the person who's doing it on purpose is doing it on purpose. So it's not going to really matter. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and it's like, we're, we're making these asinine laws for, for pretty much no reason at all. It's, 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 it affects very few people. Well, this is the strange thing about the idea of compassion because all of these things are done in the name of compassion. And I think that we have, well, I think we've idolized mm-hmm. compassion I mean, maybe this is where you end up with the sort of fucked up inversion that children should be free and responsible and adults should be protected and safe. Mm -hmm. Because how do you be compassionate to a child? How do you be compassionate to an adult whose feelings are hurt? And the problem is that when you approach someone only with compassion, you fuck them up really bad Hmm. because compassion isn't enough. You have to have compassion, but also love. And a part of, part of love is hard. 
part of love is disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not loving to give children whatever they want while it might be compassionate. And it's not loving to protect adults from their feelings while it might be compassionate. And it's not in anyone's best good. But I think we, we have culturally become, we've culturally idolized things like compassion and empathy. And I think it's having a very perverse effect. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, if you are championing ideas of compassion and empathy, then it's not compassionate or empathetic to point out that the results are perverse. Mm. So it's sort of a, it's a, it's a non-starter or a non-compute in that worldview. Well, it's so, definitely a, p- a pendulum swing in that it's like, you know, it's at some points in our culture and society, I think having compassion and empathy being emphasized is good. Right. But then it becomes a kind of like to your point is at some point, it, we become to sort of bastardize that word empathy and compassion into, you know, it's not, it's not helpful for you to be compassionate or empathetic when maybe you need to say, Hey, you know, I don't agree with you. You know, I think you're wrong. And here's why I think you're wrong. Right. <clears throat> yeah. But Cause there is such a thing as tough love. Tough love. Yeah. <clears throat> but you yeah. know, if I love you, I don't just care about your current state. I care equally, if not more, about your future state. Mm-hmm. Because you have much more to lose in the future than you do in the present. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, it's not going to feel to you compassionate or empathetic mm-hmm. if I behave in your best interest for the future. Mm. Because, well, because you're going to have to sacrifice something in order to move into your best future. And if I love you, then I'm going to, well, either allow that sacrifice or help that sacrifice or ultimately require it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're my child, I'm going to require that you sacrifice it. It's, I'm, I'm going to take your phone away as a consequence for this behavior. You know, I'm going to require that you go to bed at a certain time so that tomorrow isn't horrible for you and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm requiring sacrifice of you because I love you. Mm -hmm. And I don't just love you now. I love you in the future. And I want the best for you. Mm -hmm. And you can easily look at that and say, that's not compassion. I was listening to uh, Barry Weiss's most recent podcast episode with this, um, I guess, Asian American woman. She wrote a book called uh, something Tiger Mom. Mm-hmm. basically how she raised how she was raised she's a second generation or first generation child of immigrant parents and her parents raised her in this very stereotypically asian like hyper disciplined uh you know standards you know super high it's like you come home with a 98 it's like you're getting yelled at mm-hmm. what happened to those two missing points why'd you slack off you know And she wrote this book about that and how she raised her children. And it's easy. She was talking about how when the book came out, the backlash against her was really horrific. People caused her, accused her of being, uh, you know, accused her of child abuse of her children for the way that she raised them. Hmm. Um, You know, and I get it. It's like within a certain scope, that's sort of a fair accusation to level. Mm -hmm. Because, like, for instance, she told the story about um, 
threatening to burn her daughter's uh, <laughs> uh, stuffed animals if she didn't play this piano piece properly. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's like a whole, it's like, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this level of mm-hmm. like, um, what's the word? Intensity. In- intense expectations. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And how she made her kids practice piano three hours a day and like wouldn't tolerate anything less than a hundred on any, you know, test. And she was against sleepovers and play dates. And she kind of admitted, she was like, part of this was a little bit tongue in cheek. Like I'm characterizing the way I was raised and, but you know, there's some truth in it. And, mm-hmm. um, but if you, <clears throat> if you rightfully feel a little bit disturbed by that, and then in response to that, you dial it all the way to the other end of the spectrum, you end up with something just as perverse. Mm-hmm. You know, kids with no rules don't do well. Yeah. And maybe kids with too many rules also don't do well. But there is some balance to be struck where compassion isn't enough, but neither is um, like absolute structure. Well, I think that's part two. I mean, maybe we're, I think it, it could sound like we're kind of demonizing uh, empathy and compassion. It's, I think that's the part where empathy and compassion. <laughs> well, are, I am a little bit. <laughs> well, it's definitely because I think the, the, the pendulum has swung on right. the, to the other side. And so it's, a, it's, it's kind of like kind of need to push back the other way, but cause you can be, imp- you can have empathy and sympathy for people but at the same time you have to have something that kind of balances that out. And as far as like, okay, what is good? What is right? What does the future hold too for mm-hmm. that person? And yes, I can step in there and, and be empathetic or sympathetic, but at the same time, it's like, you also have to think of this person into the future, like what is going to be best for them. And I think kids are the perfect example of that kind of stuff. All the things you had just said, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, sometimes it's just to go, to go in and just, you know, hear your daughter or whatever bitch about a boyfriend or, or mm-hmm. somebody and like, just be like, man, I'm sorry, that sucks, you know? And then, but that's not the response every time. Other times it's like, well, Hey, what are you going to do about it? Like, right. What, what's something that, what's a step you can take to make that situation better? Or even ask the kid was like, well, did you have a part in that? And is there something that you did or that maybe led to that? And, you know, um, and then kind of like being able to suss that out of like, Oh yeah, well I did call this person a name or whatever it might've been, you know, mm-hmm. and that might've led to that, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I'm trying to, I feel like I'm on dicey ground in mm-hmm. my head right now because there's something about this idea in, in our culture that says, well, you should validate people's feelings. Which isn't, and it's used in this, like, this blanket way. Like, all feelings are valid and you should validate them. Yeah. It, but then, obviously, that's not true because no one behaves as if that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like... Or your truth. All, yeah, Speak your, your truth. truth. Your truth is valid. Mm-hmm. Your feelings are valid. Except you because you're a white supremacist. Except you because you're a neo-Nazi. Except mm-hmm. you because whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, clearly. But um, I also just, do, I just disagree I don't think all feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. I don't think all truths are valid. They can't be by definition. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it is, you know, maybe what we're trying to do is like shortcut our way around wisdom Mm -hmm. because wisdom is, is what says 
what decides when and where and how to be compassionate Mm -hmm. and when and where and how not to be. Mm -hmm. And so we've tried to shortcut that because that's hard because it's hard to learn. And we've, you don't always get it right either, which is the whole part of it. And you generally don't get it right very consistently until you're much older. Mm -hmm. And we've basically, uh, sort of like spayed and neutered, (laughs) Uh, all of our elders, you know, in terms of their power in our culture. And so mm-hmm. the, since the rest of us can't get there, it's like, we tried to sidestep our way around it and just be like, well, all things are valid mm-hmm. so long as we like them or whatever, yeah. you know, and, or we can use it as a cudgel to, uh, uh, dismiss someone, you know, you didn't validate their feelings. Like you are the bad, you're the problem here. Really. It's not their feelings. It's, it's you. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with these weird trigger warnings on all kinds of things or misinformation labels or because you have to dismiss anyone who threatens the safety of this very unwise position. Mm -hmm. What's hard because I also I kind of it's like part of me wants to push back on this a little bit, but it definitely deserves pushback. But at, at the same time, I don't I mean, I definitely think of like more free speech is better free speech. Like you want as many people speaking into the world as, as possible, you know? Um, and obviously it's like sort of the Pareto distribution, like, you know, uh, 20% of the people get 80% of the listens kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, it definitely comes down to, but at the same time we, we kind of raised people into that position of that Pareto distribution of the 80, 20, um, but I think that's the part that we let that play out because, you know, let's say, let's just say for argument's sake, you know, there's these people, <laughs> these evil people who are, are spouting misinformation, <clears throat> make it into that 20%. It's like, well, at some point <clears throat> that 20% is going to shift and change. And what we're hoping for is that that will shift and change into what is the truth and what is good and what is, what is, what is reasonable. And, and, and at some, at different times you'll have different people step into that 20%. That is good because it gives pushback to the other part of that very small percentage of people that are speaking into the cultural zeitgeist. And, and we need that because it actually challenges that 20%. Yeah. And it'll either then at that point shift, you know, I think of even like Neil Young, I mean, like, I mean, his whole thing was sort of anti-establishment, the man and getting us down, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden he's shifted back into sort of like, it, it just sounds like he's almost, uh, contrary to what he was all about in his early life, you know? I saw some commentary about him that attempted to make the case that his position is actually the same hmm. as it was back then. Oh, interesting. It's, it's, and I wish I could recount it, but I can't. Okay. Sorry. Oh, you'll have to send that to me whenever you, I'll see if I can find <clears throat> it real quick, but keep talking. Yeah. Well, I just, it's just, I mean, I, th- I think that's the thing that we don't, we don't understand. I think we're also seeing that right now with a lot of stuff around COVID uh, and it's just easy. And I'm tired of talking about COVID too. So if you're tired of listening about it, I'm there with you. Um, but it's just so, so pertinent right now. It's like, even to talk about the Wuhan coming out of the Wuhan Institute, 
a viral biology was like, was like, you couldn't talk about that. That was misinformation for a period of time. And now it's something that we can actually talk about. There's so many of these things that we couldn't talk about because it was misinformation that now it is mainstream. Right. And so like, so what does that tell us about this label of misinformation? And if nothing else, it tells us that, be cautious because a lot of things that we think are misinformation. Right. Well, and that's back to this point, this observation that in, in most religion, the answer to what are you supposed to do in the face of truth and truth is truth exists partly in the known and partly in the unknown. Mm -hmm. So what are you supposed to do in the face of that? There is truth, but you don't know it. Yeah. So you be humble. Mm hmm. What's even the idea but, like the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Mm, it's right. like there's something greater and bigger than you. Right. Contrast that with the absolute hubris and arrogance of the fucking idea of settled science. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> so, science is settled. This is what's true. Anything else is misinformation and should be banned. It's uh-huh. like, how arrogant do you have to be <laughs> totally. to say, I know what's true and this is mm-hmm. it and that's it. We're done here. Right. Like, sorry, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't trust you anymore because you're way too fucking confident, which means, which means that you are more interested in power and control than you are in truth because a person not humble in the face of truth isn't looking at truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's the point is when you look at truth, I mean, this is even described this way biblically, mm-hmm. you know, what is truth? Well, we, uh, how is God named? It's like, I am that I am. I am the truth. I am, you know, there's all that he doesn't have a name. It's just, so use God as a placeholder of the truth. And what happens to people when they see God, they die, <laughs> they become blind. They, they're ma- seriously maimed, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Because you don't know the truth and you can't stand up to it because you aren't exactly true. So the proper position to take is one of, of prostration and humility. And so if you, if you aren't humble, then you're not looking at the truth. So if you're arrogant and hubristic, I can tell you're talking about a lie. Even if you're not necessarily purposefully, Huh. outright lying to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's different. That's you're, totally you're, different. You're engaging in manipulation for the sake of, well, you're engaging in power because there is power and truth. So you're engaging in the power of truth for the sake of control and manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's something interesting, like as you're saying, that's like any, any serious scientist or even entrepreneur in that fact is is most entrepreneurs that are worth their salt. What you hear about the most is their failures, you know, in, in science and in, in business, it's really not about your successes. It's about your failures mm-hmm. because that's where you learn the most. And <clears throat> I think that's the part that, you know, that what makes a great scientist and a great entrepreneur is that humility because you have faced I thought I knew this well and I didn't, Yeah, you know, and, or something completely out of the blue came across my desk and, 
blew me out of the water, you know, or this thing happened. I never, I never saw the pandemic. It wasn't in my business plan, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> like it's, it's just like you, you have how to, how did have, you overlook that? I know. How did you overlook that? Yeah. <clears throat> but I think that's the thing is like, is like, that's why those stories are so much more important than the actual successes, you know? But again, it's like, there's something sexy and, and, uh, maybe sells, you know, the part of Steve jobs that was successful, you know, you don't hear about all of his failures, you know, but anybody who's worth their salt is sees like, Oh wow. Look at how many times he failed. Like I remember I read a biography on Truman and he was not a very remarkable man. I mean, just it really, mm. it's really fascinating on how unremarkable he was. And I, I am overstating that in a, in a sense, but it's like, but he was, but all of a sudden he's sitting with Stalin and Churchill deciding the fate of the West. Mm. And so you could paint that picture of like, wow, look at that. You <laughs> it's know, like, so is that an unremarkable man Yeah, or not? Exactly. Yeah. Well, to your point about <clears throat> failure, you know, I don't think that we admire them for their failures. Mm-hmm. I think it has something to do with, <clears throat> well, hmm, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who is successful, whether it be in business or maybe it's easier for me to use art, you make good art. If the artist sort of behaves as though it was all about them, I made this art, I'm responsible for it, I'm to be praised for it. Mm-hmm. You don't like that. You know, yeah. you don't like that artist, you don't like their work even. Well, something doesn't ring true about exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And so, an artist that you want their work, whether it's a painting or a song or a, let's say a movie script or a book, always has some position about them, which is, well, it was inspired. Mm -hmm. Like there was something about it that I'm not exactly responsible for. Like I was there when it happened Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm going to take the credit for it and collect the check, but also like, this is a huge blessing. I I can't believe I was, you know, I was, this inspiration came to me. It's like they have a position of humility to it. Mm -hmm. They're subordinate to the art, you know, not, uh, what would be the opposite of that? Extraordinate, um, superior. It's, it, you know, mm-hmm. that's an authentic position or the prideful position of sorry. It's all about me. And I created this. Right. Where, exactly. Where we kind of all know that's not true. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's like you have to put, uh, there's so many different sayings on the, around this, but it's like you work hard every day. And then there's a certain amount of luck that also happens, <laughs> you know? It's like, well, and I think that's part of the story of the entrepreneur that fails nine times and then becomes successful. The reason it's important that they failed nine times is because the success isn't all about them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm successful, but look at all of my failures. And, and I might say I learned a lot from them and that's true, but I'm also acknowledging that there was some, almost supernatural element to it, which is, you know, maybe you say it's luck. Maybe you say it's experience. Maybe you say it's wisdom. All of these terms though exist out in the symbolic world. It's like an acknowledgement that it wasn't complete. 
wasn't completely up to me, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to celebrate it and be blessed by it. But I somehow can't take all of the credit. Well, it's this whole idea of co-creation kind of thing. Like, so I think in Christianity, you see this, you see the, you see this in a, in both ways. Uh, you know, on one respect, you see, I see, I see many Christians talk about, you know, like, Oh, it was God. Oh, it was Jesus. You know, it's like, it's like, well, yeah, but you also put the work in and you stepped into, you worked your ass off to do these things. Mm -hmm. And they always want to talk about like, Oh, it was just God. You know, it's like, right. But then you have on the other side of that, which is sort of like, it's all me. You know, so, but there's this, there's a sort of like co-creation idea and this is very, both are, too. both of those positions are inauthentic. Exactly. Yeah. Because they're dismissive of part of the mm-hmm. obvious ingredients. Yeah. And they're both, um, yeah, they're both inauthentic and undesirable. Like the person who's constantly saying, Oh, it was all Jesus. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to hang out with that person. <laughs> totally. Because it's like, well, who are you though? Like, who yeah. am I even hanging out with? Mm-hmm. I mean, just like a avatar a of Jesus, like yeah. self, like directed by Jesus. And that'd be a compliment. So <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> but I don't want that. Uh, like I want to hang out with a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, uh, I think that's a part too. You, you see this. And uh, again, I think to your, to your point earlier about political ideologies is that you see that same idea too, is like, they're putting some sort of like, I'm a Democrat, so I must believe these things. And so you just adhere to something and you don't really think for yourself and start lo- listening to the other <clears> side is <throat> like, if you're a Democrat, listen to a Republican or a Republican, listen to a Democrat. You know, I think Bill Maher is doing this really well right now um, on his show. Like I just really, I love, I love listening to him because he's kind of like, guys, you're going crazy. (laughs) You know, it's like, come back, you know, it's like, this is not the, the, the democratic party that I've been a part of. Something's happening here. And it's, I, I I can see how he could be criticized or even start, people start calling him like far right or Republican or something like that. And it's like, it's like, no, Bill Maher is not a Democrat Republican. He is a Democrat. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I love this statement too. He's like, you know, Oh shoot. What is it about maturing? Oh yeah. He's talking about how he's being accused of sort of like moving to the right or whatever. And he's like, guys, I've been here for decades. I haven't changed. The left has. And he says, uh, what do you say? I'm still the same single unmarried, childless, gay, pot smoking smoking (laughs) hippie. You can accuse me a lot of a lot of things, but maturing is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> totally, it's so perfectly self-deprecating, and it's mm-hmm. like honestly endear, it, uh, instantly endearing mm-hmm. and charming, and and disarming. Yeah, you know. But that's the point, though. It's like even with him, people are saying he is going to the right. It's like if you don't, and that's that's a part with an ideology. It's sort of like if you don't follow lockstep and barrel. Lock, step, and barrel? Lock, step, and... Let's just go with, like, lock and step. (laughs) (laughs) And they call the thing rodeo. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, all of a sudden, you have to be a part of a different camp. And it's like, there's... It's it's, it's just so... (laughs) Right. Infuriating as far as, like... 
Uh, and now I'm, now I'm, I'm sorry. Now I'm kind of going back to like where we were talking about with truth. Well, I th- I, again, the things that we've been talking about is sort of this, this sort of space that we try to exist in. I think that we should exist in is where we're standing on a knife's edge. And in the U S supposedly our political parties kind of represent that in a sense, you know, um, kind of an order and chaos, you know, tradition versus progressive and, and change. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's a balance between those two things. And once you start demonizing the other, we start to have huge shifts in our, um, I think our cultural expressions or our politics that has happened recently that there is, there's a sort of like demonization of the other that is not helpful or healthy for us. You know, even like with, with parents and kids, you know, it's like, Hmm. it's like, no parents are meant to be there and bring order because kids will kind of live in a chaos because they haven't had the time and experience to really grow and understand. And it's like parents are there to guide and to help them through those really difficult questioning times. Like, who am I? What am I doing? It's like, you're there to help frame that. And there's certain things that are, that parents are there to help guide their kids into the future, into their future self. <laughs> Luca agrees with me. No. <laughs> <laughs> what the crap <laughs> I can drive in the snow <laughs> sorry that was no, that was uh, <laughs> cryptic s- specific <laughs> that's what went through my head sorry that that's was really inside, funny uh, <laughs> <That's> really- <laughs> well <clears throat> it makes me think um, so what what we were saying earlier about lie a lie in the truth it's like a lie needs to be upheld because it's at odds with something mm. the truth doesn't need to be upheld because it's not at odds with something things mm. can be at odds with it mm-hmm. and so who was it that so the definition of ideology i don't know if it was vaslav havel in um power of the powerless but talks about how or it may have been peterson i don't know talking about how an ideology isn't necessarily wrong. It's just a very limited view of something and behaves as if that's the complete view. Hmm. Um, and in order for it to, in order for you to behave as if your ideology is the complete view, you then have to be at odds with anything that threatens that anything outside of that view, because everything outside of that view has to be false. Yeah. Um, and so it has to be attacked. And so if the ideology, if the ideology shifts at all, which it will, because we live in a temporal world where we're moving through time and things change, we grow, we learn new things happen, things change. The ideology will have to shift. And if anyone inside of the ideology finds themselves outside of it by virtue of the ideology shifting, they have to be then dismissed with mm-hmm. because they are threatening to the existence of the ideology, the structure of the ideology. Yeah. 
the structure of the ideology depends on what it excludes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same idea of like, like we do need dogma, like dogma is helpful and it's, it's something that it's something that allows us to have structure, but, but the point is not dogma. The point is that that dogma always has to be changing and shifting. It's, it's sort of that same idea of where, you know, like, I don't think, I'm not sure if this is how you say it, but like speak your opinion strongly, but hold them lightly. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing about dogma is that you kind of develop this sort of like cultural understanding of where you are and where you're at right now. And that might be helpful. Like at some points you maybe need more compassion and empathy and other times you need more tough love. So it's like, if you hold that, if you speak it, you know, like right now is a time of empathy and compassion, speak that strongly, but hold it lightly because at any point it will shift over into tough love. Mm-hmm. And right at that point you need to speak that strongly, but hold it lightly. Yeah. Whereas if you take either one and you base a worldview on mm-hmm. just one, yeah. that would be ideological. Mm-hmm. So if you were to say compassion is utmost of utmost importance, yeah. And you, you see everything through that. Well, then when it comes time for tough love, you won't allow it Mm -hmm. because that's against compassion or even fucking hard things too. Like, uh, arena, it's just really well said in fiction, I think, but I'm reading the wheel of time right now. And, um, there's a sort of this gypsy group that kind of goes around and they don't believe in, in, um, in conflict, you know, like armed conflict and that kind of stuff. They, mm-hmm. they, they run away from it. But then there's these things called Trollocs, which are kind of like, uh, 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 what do you call them? The Lord of the Rings, the, the orcs or something like that. Mm-hmm. They just want to kill. They don't give a shit right. what you think or what you feel. Yeah. And, and there's a sort of argument that that's happened with this, some of these sort of gypsy like characters. And, you know, it's like, no, it's like the world is, is a scary ass place. I, you know, it's like, but they also found that that person that was like also trying to convince them. It's like, sometimes no war and killing is necessary to preserve, but you know, but at the same time, like there was a sort of envy of their way of life too, of like, let everyone live and let be. Well, it's, it's such a funny thing. Like the path that goes down. So you could say, I don't believe in armed conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's a problem for me, for you mm-hmm. when somebody who's armed comes and threatens you. Yeah. It's like, you're either going to die at the hands of this other person, or you're going to have to change your beliefs and become armed yourself. Yeah. So in the face of that, you could say, well, the problem is that those people are armed. There should be nobody armed. Mm-hmm. The world would be, would fit my worldview if just no one was armed. Yeah. So the problem is those people existing. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who are going to be armed and want to be armed and want to take your stuff. Mm-hmm. So what if we just dispense with them? Well, what does that take? Well, now you've got to arm yourself and go commit genocide mm-hmm. in order to support your worldview. I mean, that's a very simplistic example of how a limited and quite frankly, naive worldview turns into utter atrocity without being inconsistent with itself 
Well, we kind of saw it with the whole defund the police thing. You know, it's like, right. it's like, no, there's people that want to take your shit, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, it's like in San Francisco right now, it's like, you know, people are shoplifting and, and taking, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of stuff out of stores and stores are closing mm-hmm. and leaving are not reopening. You see those pictures of people, I think it's in San Francisco mm-hmm. when they parked their cars, they just started leaving the windows down and the yeah. back trunks open uh-huh. just like to try to signal, like there's nothing in here. Please don't break my windows. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's more expensive to break my window than anything <clears throat> to get out of here. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just wild. Like it, it's kind of a, a incongru- incongruity with, with what, I mean, obviously we would love it if everybody was truthful and honest and, I mean, that is a world we all want to live in, but I don't know if, if people just don't look too deeply into their own hearts <laughs> as far as like what we're capable of and what, you know, it's like, you know, I like to think I'm a, a, a truthful and honest person, but I also see like I am, if I'm, if I'm not, if I don't keep that in check or have other people help me keep that in check, I can be a, a, a pretty despicable person like mm-hmm. that. To me, that's very obvious to myself. Hmm. Like, so it's like again coming back to that sort of like. I mean, I've I've been alive for forty four years, <clears throat> and I tr- I do hope I hope I can do this my entire life, and and not that I have you know, but to have the humility to be able to speak the truth, but then also like be humbly humbly know that I don't know everything and that I will have to refine my, my statements throughout my lifetime, you know, even with our kids, it's like, you know, even I like, you know, we're raising our kids. It's like, we're doing the best we can, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, it's like, but we also acknowledge that our kids could look back and will look back on their life and say, wow, my dad didn't do this well. Mm -hmm. And we will Mm -hmm. have to say, you're right. You're right. You know, and then other things they'll be like, you didn't do this well. I was like, no, actually I did. (laughs) You know, it's like, you don't see it yet. (laughs) You don't see it yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's an experience. Like when, when most people hit their twenties or start having kids, there's a sort of realization of like, oh, wow, mom, dad, you did the best you could, you know? Hmm. And obviously it's like, there's, there's horrible examples out there too, but I'm just speaking generally. (laughs) Well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Cause what else can you strive for? Mm-hmm. You strive to do the best you can and you admit that you're going to fail. Yeah. And this is the humility in the face of truth. Whereas the, the really fucked up parent who fucks their kids up says, well, I didn't just do my best. I did the best. Like I did everything right. Mm-hmm. Which means that to the extent that you're suffering, it's your fault. You fucked yeah. up, you know, that hubris, that arrogance is destructive. I mean, even as an entrepreneur, it's like you, you, you start a business and you just see your fuck ups. I mean, it's the same thing with kids. You see your fuck ups like in your face and you hire other people to help kind of minimize or <laughs> that that's sort of the, all those fuck ups, you know, it's like, mm. uh, yeah, buffers, yeah. <clears throat> which makes me think about why it is that why I always think it's so funny that people want to give the government more power or they want the government to tell people what to do. And I'm always like, Really? them yeah <laughs> what is that uh, uh arrested development uh bit where 
Did you watch Arrested Development? Uh, bits and pieces, yeah. So I guess it's Michael. <clears throat> um, <laughs> oh, what's the actor's name? I'm blanking on it. His son is dating this girl, and he keeps bringing the girl around. And every time the dad's like, her? <laughs> like, you're dating her? <laughs> I think that about the, like, people want the government to tell people what to do. I'm like, them? Like, the government is incompetent. Mm-hmm. And necessarily so, because it is, I love this. Elon Musk says the government is just the biggest corporation. Yeah. You know, and, and you as an entrepreneur, you start by yourself and you have all these fuck ups. You're like wildly all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. and like <clears throat> you strike the jackpot here and it like sustains you for a year. But like that was just one week and everything else is terrible. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's like the common phrase is feast or famine. Totally, yeah. And so <clears throat> what do you do? It's like you hire more people to help buffer that like keep some things in check so that we don't go wildly into famine at the expense of not going wildly into feast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, let's try to bring this into some sort of balance so that it's more sustainable. And then the bigger a corporation gets, the more stable it becomes until you, you stop talking about it in terms of stability. You start talking about it in terms of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. It becomes stifling. It becomes, well, we can't even do anything anymore. You know, Uh and then, well, play, like play that all the way out to the biggest corporation. That's government. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything. Yeah. Innovation takes decades and centuries, (laughs) which is why all innovation that we've ever done or the government has ever been a part of has always been pushed into the private sphere but wrapped in a government label. Mm-hmm. That's what NASA was. That's mm-hmm. what the Manhattan Project was. Yeah. Um, That's what Elon Musk and SpaceX and right. uh, Blue, Sh- Blue Shield or whatever it's called. <laughs> I was thinking Blue Steel. <laughs> Blue, yeah. Origin, Blue Origin. Bezos' thing. Yeah. yeah. The dick rocket. But um, <laughs> yeah. So like really you want to give in a, ch- in a world that's changing more rapidly than you're even evolved to mm-hmm. deal with. You want the slowest, most bureaucratic, most incompetent organization. And rightfully so and good too. No, I'm not saying they shouldn't exist. I'm not a like anarchist (laughs) or even a libertarian. I'm Uh, just saying like, it just is so funny to me. Mm -hmm. Them? Yeah. You You want them to to tell you whether or not you can listen to Joe Rogan? Like, (laughs) Uh I feel like you need to, have a drink and reconsider this situation. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Cause I mean, there is something that is that with government is good in its slowness and it's sort of like stuck in the mud. No, aspect. it's a feature, not a bug. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But whenever we start to think of it as a feature uh, or yeah, as a feature rather than, well, sorry as the solution to all of our problems, it's like, I think that's where we start to kind of go wrong. It's like, no, that's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a check to the balances. It's like, we need to inspire and grow in our entrepreneurship and taking risk and government should allow that and also encourage it. But again, I think government is also a sort of buffer to it too, to make sure it doesn't get out of control. And that's where you have regu- you know, regulations, and that kind of stuff. It's like, and you're never going to get this right. So it's not about, I'm not really talking about like, but it's a balance. It's like government and its bureaucracy. There's a little bit of a, 
slows things down. But you don't want government and bureaucracy to slow things down too much. And that, that happens whenever governments and bureaucracies grow too big. You know, and mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like you don't want innovation and uh, entrepreneurship to get too out of control because that kind of leads to chaos. It's like you need something to kind of buffer that and make sure that, you know, again, people are being paid fairly or not working long hours. I mean, a lot of that stuff came out of the, you know, industrial revolution where we, you know, the 40 hour work week or overtime or, or that kind of stuff, you know, right. We need those checks and balances. Right. Cause you want innovation, but you also want stability. Mm. And, it's a, and so it's the, a dance. it's a dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ideal place is an imperfect place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. Well, that's why utopia always fails so catastrophically. Yeah, so true. Hmm. Was there anything we want to wrap this up with? <clears throat> hmm. We kind of ran all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like there was a good thread. It's a good thread, yeah. Um. No. Let's leave it there. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Cheers, y'all. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Love you. Bye.